HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate to become a member today. Welcome to The Line. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. Thanks for joining us for another episode here on Heritage Radio Network. My guest today is Santiago Perez. He was born in Mexico City and went to school there, moving first to London, then to New York City to be an investment baker. He had gone to school and received a chemical engineering degree, and then somewhere along the way decided that investment banking was the right fit. At the age of 29, he was working at UBS in New York City, and along with his childhood friend Santiago Gomez, they decided they wanted to open up a restaurant. What would follow is critical acclaim, a spot on the world's 50 best list, an additional restaurant in New York City, and three more projects lined up to open in 2020. But leading up to opening Cosme, my guest today was just another investment banker in New York with a dream of being a restaurateur. And many have tried before and failed. And just having money or access to those with money doesn't always guarantee you can open and run a restaurant. Lots of people with solid analytical skills Many with great understandings of international market fluctuations cannot seem to crack the restaurant success code. But today's guest was different. Cosme has now been open for five years and has only increased in popularity as time goes on. It has also increased the fame and influence of the chefs, Enrique Olvera and catapulted chef Daniel Soto Ines to chef stardom. In 2017, they opened another restaurant together with both chefs now partners with Santiago. And as I mentioned, they will open three West Coast restaurants in 2020. Today, we'll talk about why being investment banker is the right or wrong background for opening a restaurant, how Santiago connected with his massively talented creative chef team, and also how to maintain consistency and structure while expanding to have bi-coastal operations. Santiago, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Eli. I'm excited to be here. So you were born in Mexico City. Did you always have intentions to come to the United States? I know you moved to London first for for your investment banking job. So um, when you were growing up, did did you think that you, the U.S. was was in the cards for you? Well, uh, I've always had the travel bug. Uh, I didn't know exactly what my plans were until like late later on in in college. But I did know I wanted to sort of push some boundaries and create new something new. Uh, I was, as you said, uh, born and raised in Mexico City. Uh, always been super passionate about food, mostly by eating it, not really. Like, I never thought I was going to sort of pivot into the restaurant in, uh, business. 
But um, after my college degree, uh, I started working for UBS, a Swiss bank, um, uh, with a short stint in London and then relocated to New York. And uh, it was there where kind of after a couple of years and yeah, I have, I learned uh, um, quite a few things there, but it was time to do something else, to, to go on my own. When you were younger and you were you're going up in Mexico City, uh, you said that you know you always had the travel bug. You you loved food, but what was eating and traveling like for you as as a kid? Did you visit a lot of different countries with your family? Did you do most of your eating um, in Mexico? What was that like? I'd say both. Uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to to have parents that really enjoyed uh, visiting other countries, cities, both uh, inside Mexico and and abroad. And I was kind of exposed to to different cultures, different cuisines. Uh, I spent a couple of years in in boarding school early on, and then like uh, sort of uh, by the time I was uh, sort of making my own decisions and choosing college, etc., it was kind of like the calling to to go somewhere else started to become stronger. Um, so that's kind of why I saw a path in investment banking as as a way to relocate to another place and kind of try luck somewhere else. Did anything from your childhood, does it really stick out? Is there a country that you visited or maybe a restaurant in Mexico City that, that now that you've opened up restaurants, you think to yourself, oh, that was actually quite inspirational, even if maybe at that time it didn't really mean as much to you? Well, I've always been super passionate about tacos. <laughs> tacos is a, a great way of exploring different places because uh, like the taco is just a canvas you know it's a tortilla and you can put whatever the whatever you want on top of it so like kind of like that led me to explore many different uh, places within Mexico and and like uh, abroad specifically in New York I was kind of uh, astounded by visiting Le Bernardin because like the level of craft and hospitality there was something that didn't exist back then in Mexico so that was kind of my first foray into like really becoming uh, passionate about food. It's hard to find someone that doesn't like tacos. It's a, it's <laughs> it, but it can also be a very polarizing food in terms of purist versus creativity. Like you said, it is a canvas. So anything can theoretically go in a taco. Are you in a specific camp? Is there some things that are just sacrilegious to put in a taco? Not really. I think uh, tacos are really versatile and, and there's no right way of doing a taco. I think uh, each one can sort of do their own, have their own understanding, preference. It's very democratic. Uh, so I think you can, like, within the whole taco spectrum, if there's such, like, you can find anything I think it's it's fair to say that at the beginning, if there was one dish that defined Cosme, it was tacos. Is that <laughs> is that fair? Yeah, yeah, a for sure. Yeah. And so, can you talk about that, like sort of the famous dish when Cosme opened a little bit? Um, what was the conceptualization of it, and was there a discussion about having a large format taco dish that would anchor the menu, or or not? Well, it, pretty much everything uh, that we serve in Cosme, you can eat in a tortilla. Tortillas are always on the table. They're like a single origin corn, like very special. It's kind of our anchor. Or, or, and uh, I think uh, we always knew that there were going to be tacos on the, on, on the menu. That's obviously like a, a pillar of Mexican cuisine. But uh, we sort of knew that we needed a staple, something that people would really remember 
So uh, back then in the early days, uh, as uh, uh, both uh, Chef Enrique and Chef Daniela were trying to think about what would be uh, appropriate, uh, they sort of pulled a, a recipe from their <laughs> their grandmothers, you know, like the, the Doc Carnitas. It was sort of a, a really nice way to kind of come home to your roots with the ingredients, processes, but putting a, a spin on it with the, with the Doc. Do you think Cosme is uh, authentic? Is it a a new realization of what authenticity of uh, Mexican cuisine can be, or is it something else entirely? Is it a vision of Enrique and Daniela that um, maybe their grandmothers would not consider as authentic? I think it, uh, consider uh, like establishing Mexican food as, as authentic, it's a little tricky. Mm-hmm. There is cer- obviously certain elements that have been in our, our culture and our food for like centuries, no, but... Uh, I think the the biggest challenge was establishing Cosme on its own, having its own personality, being driven by the ingredients that are available in New York, by um, following certain yes processes, etc. But uh, like letting it uh, Cosme express its own personality, and that's I think one of the reasons among among many Cosme has been successful. It's that it is a great restaurant that happens to be Mexican. It's not really uh, a place that is calling everywhere like, hey, I'm Mexican, you know? It's just like a, it has its own personality. When you were growing up uh, first, where what part of Mexico City did you grow up in? And also, um, were there any restaurants that uh, that were open then that still exist now that uh, when you were experiencing Exploring the idea of opening up Cosme, did you go back home and revisit some street taco place or a high-end place and uh, and do a lot of research in that capacity? Or were you more focused on New York restaurants? So first, what area? And then yeah. if there were inspirations. Yeah, oh, for sure. I was uh, born and raised in the southern part of Mexico City. I don't think I... I, and I speak collectively with uh, like chefs and partners. Like we never need to kind of revisit tacos. We eat them almost every day, you know. So it's kind of like it. We, we didn't need to do any research on that front. Uh, obviously, uh, in order to launch a successful business anywhere uh, you are, you need to understand the context in which you're going to do it. So there was like a. a a big amount of kind of visiting restaurants in New York, in other parts of the world, you know, like to sort of start crafting the vision we had for, for Cosme. In terms of a, like a, a staple a restaurant in Mexico City, there is one that's been open for almost 50 years, passed by generation to generation. It's called San Angelin, and it just does everything very good. Uh, it has live music. It seems like a festive environment. The food is not the best you've ever eaten, but it's kind of very consistent. And that's sort of an approach we also wanted to follow. We didn't want Cosme to be something that was like super hot and popular and and then fade away just as many New York restaurants do. But like the kind of challenge that we put on ourselves was how do we build a restaurant that's going to stand 50 years or maybe even longer than its uh, founders, you know? Can you briefly explain what it means to be an investment banker? You did mergers and acquisitions. 
I think people really don't understand what it means to work in a bank where you don't physically work in the bank as like a a teller. And also some people don't know what mergers and acquisitions is. So if you could give a a quick rundown of what that really means. Well, a bank has many different functions. Uh, I worked in the investment banking division and pretty much you're working with uh, very big clients, uh, giant companies, advising them on a few things. Primarily, mergers and acquisitions is when someone wants to buy another company or, or sell their company. And uh, the, other, the other big area of it is uh, uh, getting them capital, both in the form of equity or debt. So kind of um, my, it was a, a short but very intense uh, stint there. It's famous for like sort of uh, having very long hours. And uh, at the beginning, my learning curve was super steep, just as many other young kids out there. Like, but uh, as time went on, like it just didn't feel much real, you know. Like, yeah, you're advising these giant companies, but really your impact is limited to a very specific function. And over time, it got a little bit monotonous, and I want wanted a bigger challenge. I could have kept on going there or like pursued a different field in finance, but. Like, it just didn't feel true to me. And I've always been very careful to listen, like, kind of my inner voice and, and how to to sort of pivot into new things that you're passionate about and just run with it. Uh, so so that's uh, pretty much uh, how my early years in banking were. There is something appealing, though, about being uh, in the banking world, which is that with the income that you generate, you have the ability to go out and eat and explore, right? So you were in New York, you were a young guy, you're really into food. It gave you the opportunity to try restaurants at all price points, but um, Cosme is at a higher price point. It is Mm -hmm. a fancier restaurant. You mentioned La Bernadette earlier. When you were in those first couple years in New York, were there any places that that you tried that struck you that still stay with you today, uh, sort of any iconic New York City establishments or even places that you tried that maybe aren't open anymore? Yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, the list goes on and on. As you correctly say, like uh, by working in these uh, in these finance jobs, yeah, you, you have a, a decent salary. I don't think it's uh, like the way it was in the 1980s or 90s, but uh, like it has certainly evolved in that way, but it did give me the the opportunity and the freedom to go out there and eat and and try and like and dislike things. Uh, there's a, a a couple of restaurants that I kind of uh, still really kind of cherish that experience. Um, one, as you correctly said, it's uh, Le Bernardin. I try to go like every quarter. Uh, Chef Eric changes the menu like uh, often, and like it's very interesting to see how. They do things in a very simple way where the ingredient is the, the main show. They don't try to uh, elaborate further in it. And uh, uh, another a great experience was when I first uh, came to New York, I went to La Esquina, a Mexican restaurant on Kenmar in the middle of Soho, where kind of the, the food was not the star, but like you went into these like little shack and then you had to sort of uh, be able to put your name on the door and you went through like a dodgy security guard and where you, if you had done things right, you can just kind of walked into there and walk through the kitchen in a very like, not illegal, but you know, like a super cool way. And, and kind of the experience was something very, very special. So I think the, the food in La Bernardin really like 
showed me how things could be done at a great level of execution, whereas uh, La Esquina is an example of someone that did uh, a concept and a memorable experience that uh, really like sort of uh, stayed in my mind. When you set out to open Cosme and you thought, I'm doing it. I'm I'm gonna leave my job, or I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot away from my job while still working there. But I'm gonna plan to open up a restaurant. Was it Chef Enrique or or no one? Uh, was he your? Did you make a list and was he on that list? How did how did he figure in to the Cosme structure from day one? Yeah. No, I think uh, it was very clear to me that it was a very challenging project. It's no secret that. Restaurants, and especially in New York City, are one of the most difficult uh, endeavors you can you can you can go for. So it was very clear from the beginning that uh, it was a collective effort, and that I needed to put the different pieces to make these work. Of course, I had a list on my head, but really, like I don't think I would have done it with anyone else. Uh, um, from um, kind of a business perspective, it was always kind of obvious there was a gap in New York, like fine dining or like quality Mexican food. Even though there's plenty of it, there were not a lot of people doing it at the right level. So um, early on, as you correctly said, my my uh, childhood friend Santiago Gomez and myself, we came up with the idea of uh, going for it and we both quit our jobs and like we really thought that there were a lot of elements of Mexico misrepresented in the U.S. And New York is a city famous for, like, if you do things right, uh, people will, will receive it. So we uh, thought that not only the food, but also the ambience, the design, Mexican hospitality were, like, kind of key ingredients that we needed to put into the, this blender. So we, um, before uh, Chef Enrique, uh, we met with a, a Mexican... Uh, architect, dear friend of us from from school, that he was uh, um, uh, being an architect in, with uh, Norman Foster here in, in New York, and we kind of discussed the idea, and he was like totally on board. He understood the concept, and he kind of uh, we became sort of three, you know. Uh, and the as as much as we had other chefs uh, in mind, Enrique was. I mean, definitely on the top, not because he was already more consolidated or famous. I mean, I don't like that word, but than, than others. But it was like it seemed like he was no longer playing games. You know, he had been already uh, in business in Mexico for 15 years. He had went that route through awards, doing uh, molecular cuisine, you know, all sorts of different things. And he was just like kind of finding home like in what he liked, what he really um, enjoyed cooking and eating, and it was kind of a natural sort of uh, fit. How we came to him, it's a, a complete different story. Um, we didn't know him. We visited his uh, flagship restaurant, Pujol, a, a few times, but um, it, it was until uh, we read that he had a, a an event uh, that where he was cooking in New York, so... We went there with the intention of talking to him, but it just, just didn't happen, you know? So, like, next week, uh, we flew down to Mexico City, and we really called, visited uh, Pujol, and said, like, 
hey, we're here to meet Enrique. We have a meeting with him. And they're like, what? It's like kind of disorganized. Like It's a beautiful chaos down there. So it's like, okay, yeah. Like So we after we waited a couple of hours and we met with him with a like typical kind of investment banker pitch, you know, like everything was planned and projected and all of these things. But we had the first page of it was blank. And we told him like, this is our vision. It's a no shortcuts, doing things for the right reasons, and we need you on board. We're not going to do it otherwise, you know? So it was kind of like, I think that for him, he had opportunities left and right, but I don't think he had one in front of uh, of him that felt right. And obviously it took a couple of visits to New York. We didn't have a space, you know? It's kind of challenging uh, to navigate these, especially when you've never done it, but we became really close friends in the in the process, and we ended up partnering, uh, like in a in a, I believe a partnership that really works. You know, it's a pretty epic sales pitch, considering that you went to someone who is extremely well established, who had a lot of avenues to pursue, and you said, "We're fairly young guys. We've never done this before. <laughs> yeah. We want you to come to a different city and do it with us." Uh, convincing him to kind of put himself on the line because uh, he gave the project instantaneous credibility, yeah, yeah. right? And so he stamped it and and you could move forward. So you're coming back and forth from Mexico City to, to New York. You're looking for spaces. I want to talk a little bit about not only looking for the space and finding the right space, but also leading up to it, the... Uh, fundraising aspect, which when I have restaurateurs on the show, I always find it really interesting to talk about whether it was an internal or an external raise. And also, if there were challenges, um, what were those challenges? Of course. No, as you correctly say, it's it's definitely not easy. Uh, I'm very proud we took the, the what I consider the right decision in the fundraising process. Uh, as uh, we were in the bank and UBS were kind of doing that on a daily basis, you know, for, for different companies and projects. But like this was uh, in my head, no different, you know, like, yes, I was going to put all my savings into it, but like, you know, things are very, like it was not even close, you know, to what we needed. So like it was kind of obvious in the beginning that we needed to go out and raise raise money, you know, like it was like a very expensive endeavor, like close to $4 million. So like, um, with really no background. So, uh, I, we started, um, knocking on doors unsuccessfully. Yeah. People like the idea, you know, but the, the idea is one thing. The execution is another, uh, it's really not, not, not easy. You know, restaurants are, are known to fail every other day. So we had a, a a, a lot of luck and good timing, I think. We found our, our partner and architect, Alonso de Garay, who, who not only uh, committed to designing the place, but he wanted a piece of it. So, like, suddenly we were kind of, like, 50-50 with, with him. And it was not on our plans to, to get an architect as a partner, but, like, kind of he understood the vision and, and stood, uh, uh, like, putting his... The, the, his eggs on the basket, you know, so we kind of respected a lot of that. And when we went to see Enrique, um, he said like, okay, I'm in, but 
I want to invest half of the money. <laughs> so it's like we were kind of sort of instead of in racing mo uh, mode, kind of protecting our percentage, you know, so which led to a, a beautiful uh, partnership where everyone has skin on the game, where we're a third, a third, a third, and like kind of we respect each other a lot and and we each have our own roles. We The incentives are more aligned than than in the majority of restaurants I have ever seen. So I think we, with a combination of luck, hard work, and timing, we were able to kind of assemble the project without external funding. It's There may be no better partners that you could have than having someone who has business banking background, chef culinary background, and then someone who has a creative design background. Yeah. It really is... It feels very fortuitous that you were able to assemble that crew because uh, the biggest problems that come up are really in those three silos. And if it's very difficult for people to cross over from one to the other because you can be a very creative chef, but you don't really understand millwork. And yeah, you, can, yeah, no. you can know how to design a space, but you may have no idea how to uh, find the proper accountant and bookkeeper Absolutely. and all those things. Absolutely. And I think it just... Incentives, I think it's one of the most important thing in business because I'm going to give you an example. Like as we were going through the design of a space, like if Enrique wants to buy this uh, super expensive piece of equipment, by all means do so, but write a check for the third. If Alonso wants to design this crazy thing or or put an expensive uh, piece of art on the wall, by all means do so, but write a check of a third, you know? So it kind of removed a lot of the friction, you know, mm. because it's naturally um, kind of works. Yeah, everyone has to check everyone else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> While respecting each other's uh, comp competencies, you know? So that created a very, good, uh, a very good foundation for what we're building. Before opening, let's, let's just pick a let's just say two weeks before opening, if you can get back, if you can teleport back into that headspace, what were your hopes and what were your expectations for Cosme? And were they the same thing at that point uh, in time? It, they were. Uh, we were lucky enough to meet early on with a restaurateur from New York, uh, Drew Nipporent, who founded a pretty much noble and a, a couple of other high-profile restaurants, and it, one of the biggest advice he gave me was, like, writing a sheet of paper, the reason why you're doing something and what you want to achieve, think very well through, write it down, and stick it on the wall. Don't change it. So we kind of followed that. Uh, like, I think coming from a financial uh, background, I was always trying to look the analytical thinking or aspect of it, but at some point I just let go and went with the flow and trust the process and we had great partners. And of course the challenge was gigantic uh, in front of us, but like, as I said, like incentives were aligned and we were very lucky to, to sort of uh, assemble a great team starting from Chef Daniela, who she uh, had... Uh, already a successful career uh, with stints in different restaurants. He, she staged in Puyol. She knew Enrique well, and Enrique sort of uh, 
decided that she was going to be her lieutenant in, in New York. So that was one. Jana, who's the only New Yorker from the group, she's our beverage director. Um, she came on board as a sort of a second person. And Gonzalo, like a very driven, high energy, uh, young kid. <laughs> he was a kid. So it was like kind of you put in a, in the, under the same roof, like a bunch of people under 30 with, yeah, some curiosity and a lot of hard work, but like we really didn't know what we were doing, you know? So, so it kind of like it created this magic and an entrepreneurial spirit within the restaurant that was like fabulous. You've spoken about, you know, the partnership and that seems like it would be a wonderful situation in order to, to move forward and develop the project. But then what it really comes down to is when you move all the creativity and the beauty and, and the food out of the way, this is a business and a business needs to be successful. And the way that you can gauge success of a restaurant is two ways, critical acclaim, mm-hmm. well, maybe three ways. Are there people in the seats? And also, do those two things then generate enough revenue that you're making a profit? So uh, it's so expensive to run a restaurant in yeah. New York. Unreal. It's it's so unreal. And I think the maybe the crowning example is this New York Times article about Jean Georges mm-hmm. that I just read <laughs> that it generates $25 million a year in revenue and, and it loses money because it's their flagship, right? So my my question is, uh, was it the goal from the beginning for Cosme to be financially successful, or was that a secondary goal based off the restaurant being popular and people coming? Great question. I think uh, in any business, profits are important because it makes the business sustainable. And uh, yes, you're... Also right, it's like extremely uh, expensive to run a restaurant, but at the same time, uh, you cannot cut corners. Uh, I think the, the biggest mistake people entering into the restaurant business is trying to cut quality, trying to cut corners. Of course, in the beginning, revenues are not as high as as you expected, I mean, in Excel, you can conquer Russia, you know, but like the reality <laughs> is much different. So. This is, I think, where uh, Enrique really taught me a lesson in which in the first months we were struggling financially, you know, like whatever we thought we were going to spend was like over budget and the operating budget was like through the roof. But he said, like, we need to stay true to this, like that we quality is king, no cut corners. Let's have patience, execute and he was right. I think um, um, that approach has permeated through the company wh- where we profits are not the most important thing, but we're very responsible about how we manage our resources because we also on, want a future and we want to keep on building great things we're proud of. And if a business is not... Um, financially viable, you cannot grow it, you know, like, and I think uh, um, it's very important to, you You can either fall into a virtuous cycle or a, or a negative one. Like if you spend more on the restaurant and each time someone comes to the restaurant, finds uh, 
a better plate, a better candle, better toilet paper, a nicer uniform. If you pay your staff adequately, like they're going to be happier. You provide benefits. You know, it's like kind of to, to get this magic going, it sounds easy, but when you're against the wall with the checks, it's like pretty darn hard, you know? So like kind of, you just got to be patient and trust the, about the product you have and eventually revenues come, you know? Like, so, so I think Cosmic has been open for five years um, the first year, even though we were packed, we didn't make a single dollar. We lost uh, quite a lot of money, but eventually uh, things start to turn around. We've repaid the investment. Uh, it's like great. We've already uh, opened a, a, a new restaurant, Atla, with the in part the kind of the income generated by Cosme, and now we're kind of entering the next stage of a business where we can sort of, uh, we have a, a slightly bigger operation, we have more systems in place, a partnership works, we have access to funding, and we're uh, expanding into the West Coast. More on that, all of that, in just a minute. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us here on Heritage Radio Network. You listen to Heritage Radio Network because, let's face it, you have really good taste. You care about where your food comes from, who made it, and its impact on the planet. Whether you're looking for an inspiring interview with your favorite celebrity chef, the latest on Dave Arnold's Spinzol, or if you want to get down and dirty with some agricultural policy, we've got you covered. 10 years in and 13,000 episodes later, HRN continues to be the go-to media outlet for thoughtful eaters, like you. And we never could have done it without the support of our listeners. Help Food Radio continue in the future and help us raise enough funds for the year to come. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate today. And since you've got such good taste, we have some very cool member gifts for you to choose from. Thanks for listening and for being a part of the HRN community. Welcome back to The Line here on Heritage Radio. I'm your host, Eli Sussman, and today I'm joined by Santiago Perez. He is the founder and co-partner of Cosme, and they also have another restaurant in New York City, Atla, that we were just starting to talk about, and they have some new projects coming up on the West Coast. So let's jump into it right away. Right before we went to break, you had said that Cosme had turned the corner and that using some of that revenue and some of those profits, you were able to open open up a second restaurant. The new spot that opened in 2017, it's different visually. It's different in terms of menu. And uh, it just has kind of an overall different vibe. Can you talk about the second project, how it came to be, and uh, what were the determinations that went into doing um, that style of project? Yeah, so I think... uh Cosme uh, evolved into becoming a very special restaurant that you don't go every week. You know, it's, uh, as you said, it's, uh, 
it's a fairly uh, high price. It's a, a lot of people join us to celebrate a, a few things, and, and it's right in the middle of the city. Like people, we have a, a great mix of tourists, of locals, of business. And the, the next project, it sort of felt natural to do something more casual, somewhere where we can go every day. Uh, we kind of thought about it, about not even what New York needed, but where we'd like to, to eat every day. So it's Atla um, um, means uh, meeting point uh, in Nahuatl. So it's kind of like it, it's the definition, our definition of a neighborhood restaurant. Uh, it's very accessible. Most, most likely you don't need a reservation, you can just walk in and it's like the approach to how we do things, it's much more laid back. Um, and as, as you correctly said, uh, like that has uh, been open for two years, very successfully, uh, like we're super happy with, uh, with that concept and we're looking into like other opportunities to put it somewhere else but uh like what's really next for us it's the west coast uh los angeles kind of felt also very natural it's like the second uh, city in the world where most spanish is spoken so it's kind of like a, a hybrid between new york and mexico city so it's like kind of where we really thought our, our feet should land the next uh we're doing a, a couple of projects there, and, and we're very excited. What I find interesting about the cuisine variations between New York and, and L.A., among the many differences that exist, is that L.A. has excellent Mexican food across the board. It has for forever. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that, like you said, New York was sort of lacking maybe in certain maybe price points, but also across the board, not as many spots in New York as in Los Angeles. So my first question is, is going into a sort of a more crowded market in Los Angeles, do you feel that uh, you have competition for your sort of your product, your restaurant in New York, or are you something unique that's, that's going into LA? Uh, yes, I think it's, it, Certainly, there is a much more uh, deeper Mexican culture ingrained in, in Los Angeles, and naturally, it comes with a, a bigger variety of Mexican food at all price points. I don't really think of uh, other places re when when we kind of uh, go to the drawing board and, and try to to come up with new concepts because I do believe in a city like Mexico City, New York, Los Angeles, it's so big that if you do something authentic and well executed, people will come. I, back in the early days, like as I was kind of like writing the business plan for Cosme, started looking at the different uh, sort of Mexican restaurants that were around, what price point, what were they doing well, what they didn't do well, in my opinion, and it sort of became obvious that the sort of competitive landscape was larger than that. It was like we were sort of uh, um, competing, for the lack of a better word, with uh, other cuisines, with other experiences. So that's, I think, uh, the, the, the fact that there is more of Mexican food in, in Los Angeles, I see it as an advantage. What is the name of the place in Los Angeles and where is it going to open and how did you decide 
where to open it in the city. Did you bring in a new partner that was familiar with the city, or did you all just go there a lot and explore? Uh, well, uh, we're doing a restaurant that it's going to be similar to Cosme in a, in a few ways, especially like a price point and level of execution, but, it, but it's a, its own identity. Uh, Cosme is named after a saint, uh, and uh, he was a very responsible saint. He was a doctor. But uh, he had a, a twin brother that was very rebel, that also became a doctor, and his name was Damien. So we're calling the, the, the Los Angeles restaurant Damien, uh, and it intends to be a little bit more playful, more beverage-driven. And, and um, I think um, we didn't really look at any space. We stumbled upon this. Uh, a friend of mine introduced us to this uh, vacant kind of garage parking lot warehouse in the middle of the arts district that it's like a an up-and-coming um neighborhood so similar to what bushwick so uh, downtown yes okay. downtown cool and uh when i saw it, it i remember calling enrique and alonso and telling them listen i know los angeles it's not in our immediate plans but you gotta see these you know so they kind of uh took the trip it went in, <laughs> and I just remember Enrique sort of walking through the space and nodding, like like a kind of a Jedi, you know, <laughs> like like let's do this. I see your vision, and I <laughs> and I want to execute it exactly. Uh, it's challenging to run one restaurant in New York. You have two big restaurants in New York that have a lot of seats and do a lot of covers, and now you're expanding to Las Vegas and also to Los Angeles. So with expansion comes amazing opportunity for growth, for internal development to help people rise, but logistically it becomes very confusing. And you, I think you alluded earlier to a sort of infrastructure and hierarchy mm -hmm. and, and all that back-end stuff. So for those of us that are interested in, in that, what are the new logistical director of operations type people that you've put in place to help create the new skeleton of your operation? Yeah, no, as you correctly say, uh, growth means opportunities, but it also brings new challenges. I think uh, what we're going through now, it's a kind of a rethinking of how we... we we run things. Uh, it's definitely a, a challenge opening a, a new restaurant. It's always complicated, and doing it in different cities, it's it's no no less. But uh, I think also growth and uh, scale gives you opportunities to build your team. You know, I think we've always been very entrepreneurial in how we do things, and we try to shy away from hiring like a big director of operations or something because we want each restaurant to have its own identity and personality. We empower a lot of people, uh, the people that run them and it's their show. So kind of um, some of the things we're, we're strengthening our team, we're hiring a, a few key positions, but ultimately I think we just need to be focused. Uh, our biggest enemy is the lack of focus and we're really... Um, aware of the challenges that are ahead and but we're we're up for it you know it's never been easy and 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 the but the reward of both uh, like 
satisfaction and, and business-wise can be, can, is there, you know? So, like, it's a, a, a risk worth taking. Are you worried that you might spread yourself too thin with, uh, at, one, at a certain point in 2020, you're going to have five restaurants Correct. open? Correct. Uh, is that a concern of yours? No, uh, it's certainly on my mind, but uh, I think uh, all companies evolve and uh, with it, uh, you need to change the way you do things. Uh, I think that what's going to stay the same is the, the no shortcuts and attention to detail approach. But I think as we sort of um, grow, we're also growing our team and empowering other other people, you know, like we have great the benefit of or the blessing of of having like a family uh, that collaborates with us and like we're really confident for that we can execute things uh, well. Las Vegas, it used to have a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. From a culinary standpoint, it is now a mecca. People travel there just to eat now in Las Vegas, which I think people would have thought would be crazy maybe 20 years ago. But there's so much fine dining. There's so much upscale casual there's a lot of money, obviously, being spent every single day. So uh, I, I assume that on paper, in Excel, Las Vegas is like a slam dunk. And you're working with the win, and that's a great property. But is there anything about Vegas that worries you, either from – it could be financial, but also just from like a brand perspective? Is there anything that bothers you or worries you about it? No, not at all. I think um – we're doing it for the right reasons. As you correctly say, Vegas had a sort of a, um, uh, an, a, a, an earned reputation of being a place of gambling, etc. But things have changed so much over the past 20 years. Like revenues in these casino properties are like gambling is less than half of it. You know, like uh, it's, uh, it's become like a, a totally different light. You know, you can go shopping, you can go eating. It's a, a lot of things to do. And I think... Las Vegas, it's kind of um, a very special project for us because we would not have done it without that partner. I think we found in Win Resorts a company that has a lot of similarities in how they do things. You know, they want to be the best at what they do. They're very passionate. Everyone is involved from their team. That's very gratifying to see. And I think rather than seeing it as a, as a, something that could damage our brand, I see it the other way around. I think if you do things well for the right reasons, it, it can just enhance it. And I think like what we're trying to do there, it's we're not replicating anything. We're creating something and understanding the context uh, within Las Vegas, within the casino, within the corner that we're gonna be at. We look, we spend so much time there. And I think we're going to create something that it's festive, that it sort of um, allures to the showmanship that Las Vegas is known for, and, and we're going to have a lot of fun there. As you're being approached with all these opportunities for expansion, and it, it sounds like most of these products are staying in the, in the realm of what the original project was in terms of... Um, it's gonna. They're gonna be sit down restaurants at a specific price point, and w let's just say that they're all upscale, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. uh, 
There's also, in the last decade or so, been a huge explosion of fast casual in the mm-hmm. United States and abroad. I'm curious if that is appealing at all to you and any of your partners. There are so many places in New York that are that are doing this uh, well, and they they don't really go up into your realm. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm curious if you want to maybe come down to that fast casual price point is that something that you and your partners have thought about and entertained at all as a another arm of your business yeah no i think uh, i think about this every day you know where we're gonna go next and uh, i think uh, the way i see the restaurants that we're building is like a little family of uh, children you know you're having sons daughters and uh, i think it's very difficult to properly raise a kid if you don't give him or her the right attention. And there is a limit, you know, you cannot have, I mean, some people do, but like, uh, I don't think we are the type of family that we're going to have 10 different kids, you know, because you do spread thin, you know, there is a limit to things. However, I think a, 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 a very large opportunity exists within the fast casual world Tacos, as I mentioned earlier, is like a extremely popular, getting more popular every time. It's a, it can be a healthy alternative, a, a low price point, a quick um, meal. And our first kind of foray into this in the in the back alley of uh, Damien, our upcoming uh, Los Angeles restaurant, uh, we're gonna have a um, sort of a back door where we kind of uh, explore these, you know, like we're going to have a taco served uh, all day, the different types. It's going to be kind of our laboratory and where we kind of really look into how the economics work because it's like a whole different world, you know, like and margins are different, you know, but it's like kind of uh, our first little uh, experiment where we will put our feet in the water and see what comes from that but uh, will that have a different name or will it just be called like the back alley at for now let's call it the back alley okay uh as you as you look towards 2020 and opening all these uh new projects i'm curious what does a normal day for you look like right now and how might that change when uh, the new projects open. Are you planning on just hopping on planes a lot and flying back and forth? Do you plan on going to LA for a certain extended period of time during the opening? How will your life change or not change? Yeah. So, I mean, my days are all different, you know, like uh, I kind of don't like routines. I uh, sort of steered or shied away from like this banking world where everything was structured and I was expected to be in one place at a certain time. I really don't like that. Um, Obviously, with the openings in the West Coast, uh, our attention will be shifted um, towards there. Like openings are not easy. We recognize the challenge. Uh, I do think uh, there's going to be some serious mileage uh, put on on planes, but I mean, ultimately, I, I'm. We're all. Th- that's the advantage also of being a not a one man show. As I said, it's a collective effort. Our team is very large. The uh, chef Enrique, Daniela, Yana, Nassim, like everyone's like super on board with everything. And like I think, uh, like the challenge is is there, but we're up for it. I'll try to get you out of here on this. Maybe being the last question. 
you you have all these great minds within your organization, but you know, five years is a very long time yep. to be embedded in your own restaurant. But in terms of like a restaurant career, you're still pretty fresh yeah. to the game. <laughs> and you're a young guy. I'm wondering who do you look to for either mentorship or advice that's outside of Enrique and Daniela and the folks that you see every single day to bounce ideas off of? And uh, is that person a banking person, a family member, culinary? Who is that person? I uh, really learn from our, like all our partners. I don't think I have like an outside mentor that I rely on advice. It's just maybe I should look for one, but uh, like I really like... Uh, talking also with uh, Alonso, our, our partner and architect, because he has like a whole different approach, you know, like he's shares the same beliefs, but it's always like super positive and, and really thinking how to say yes, not how to say no. And I think uh, like the sort of combination of uh, different personalities like have kind of shaped me into my own. And I feel more confident like having these great voices like around me to sort of uh, shape the way I think and ultimately where the the company uh, should go. Okay, one more before we <laughs> before we wrap things up. Uh, you've had financial success. Uh, Cosme is on the 50 best list. That's a, an incredible accolade. Uh, so there have been things that you can look to specifically and say, we're doing well. But as you look to the future, is there something that you, as a group or personally, you have not obtained yet that you talk about a lot, that you say, this is a goal? Uh, is there a new sheet of paper that you've written and attached to your wall that has something specific on it? Or is it is it not a singularly focused in that way? I don't think there is a, a, a specific idea. I think uh, what I've kind of... Uh, also learned from Enrique is to do things for the right reasons and have fun along the way. I don't see like a necessarily a goal about like reaching certain uh, uh, threshold financially or it's just like I think having success is waking up and doing what you really like. Uh, and so far we've been like good at this and I don't think we need to change that formula, you know, so just go along, have a good time, and like enjoy the ride. Santiago, let everyone know who's listening, where they can find the restaurants in New York, uh, the address of Cosme and Atla, and uh, if you've got a, a website that for, for the restaurant group for ATM that has sort of all the locations, if you want to shout that out as well. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, Cosme is uh, in the Flatiron District. It's on 21st Street. Uh, Atla, our second restaurant, uh, eats on uh, Lafayette and Great Jones Street. It's open all day. And uh, as, as we've said, uh, the, we're going to foray into the arts district in Los Angeles uh, by perhaps uh, uh, February, March, and as well at the Wynn um, um, Hotel in, in, in Las Vegas. Um, we like to sort of uh, retain the individuality of restaurants. So there's no such thing as a, like a website or something, but like we, we like it that way, you know? Santiago, thanks so much for being here and telling us about your story. And of course, uh, the first five years of your, of your businesses, uh, 
congratulations on the expansion. Oh, thank you so much. 2020 man. seems like it's going to be a big year <laughs> for you. Uh, I hope you stay uh, well rested and that all of your places open uh, on at least <laughs> on at least the the not timeline so ca- the so timeline that you uh, that you that you hope for. Uh, we appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, Eli. Everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of The Line. You can find this episode and all the other episodes of The Line on heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you find your podcasts. We'll be here next week for a brand new episode at 11 a.m. here on Heritage Radio. The line is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.